Hi, and welcome to Finance Matters, a podcast series where we bring you bite-sized thoughts, stories, and inspiration in the hopes that they'll help you on this road we're all on to do our best and be our best in the realm of financial matters here at UVA. Today, we have a special edition of Finance Matters for you. Patty is not with me here today, and I'm just going to introduce some content to you before we let you listen in. To help employees toward completing the 2020 shared goal, the Continuous Improvement Committee in UVA Finance has been hosting a panel series discussing ways to challenge the status quo. The first of these panels took place on August 28th and featured three senior leaders within UVA Finance. Today, we bring you that discussion on finance matters. It was insightful and full of great comments from all three panelists. Our panelists included Melody Bianchetto, the Vice President of Finance, Augie Morelli, the Associate Vice President for Financial Operations, and Bill Ashby, the Associate Vice President for Financial Strategy. We invite you now to listen in to this panel discussion, and we'll link in the show notes where you can find more information about the Continuous Improvement Committee and where you can find more information about upcoming installments of the panel series. I hope you enjoy this conversation. All right, thank you. Well, good morning and welcome to our first panel in the Challenging the Status Quo series sponsored by the Finance Continuous Improvement Committee. I'm Angela Knobloch, FS3 Workstream Lead for Change Management and Continuous Improvement. We're here today to raise awareness of the finance-wide goal of breaking barriers and challenging the status quo, and to learn how we might each contribute to one of our core values of strategic continuous improvement. We will be recording this session and you can find this one and all of our future sessions in the CI community as soon as they are ready. With us today for this first panel is Melody Bianchato, Verse Vice President for Finance, Augie Morelli, Associate Vice President for Financial Operations, and Bill Ashby, Associate Vice President for Finance Strategy. So my first question to the panel, and and anyone can can start, is what were you envisioning when you decided to require this as part of the shared UVA finance goal? Maybe we'll start with Melody. Yeah, sure. I'll have be happy to jump in. Um, I think that uh, what we were really thinking about is um, is giving permission for this because sometimes I think about uh, how we'll talk about how do we look for something new, how do we change our processes, how can we deliver value, um, and by making it uh, part of what we want everyone to think about every day, and even in, and we'll probably talk about this a little later, but those small steps that you take that lead to the really big pieces. We want you to think about it so much that it becomes that habit. It becomes how you do work. It becomes how um, we really constantly strive to deliver that greater value um, to our stakeholders. Mm -hmm. Bill, your perspective on the importance of this. I would, I would add to, uh, to what Melody described. I, I, you know, I think after a, um, a long career in higher education, uh, I've come to terms with the fact that change in our environment is often incremental. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
honestly, at times that's personally frustrating for me. You, you have a good idea. You'd like to see it come to fruition and you hope that you could leave the office one day and come back tomorrow and your new initiative is off and running and, and the world's been changed for the better forever. Um, the reality is change in our environment is often incremental. So it's the sum of a, a mindset where on a daily basis you are comfortable challenging the status quo and it's those little wins that add up over time that result in in change. So I think calling that out specifically and saying that um, we're going to come to work on a daily basis with the mindset that if something isn't working exactly the way we want it to, we're going to challenge that, but we're also going to be patient and pragmatic and understand that it's those sort of day-to-day it's that day-to-day -day mindset and challenges that's going to result in the transformation over time. Thank you, Bill. And, and Augie, some insight from you on, on the importance of this goal. Uh, Bill, Bill really stole a lot of my thunder and, and Melody definitely brought the word value creation to the forefront. And I, I, had, I had written down thoughtful and consistent change is what drives value creation. More importantly, when you do that over an extended period of time, that becomes part of your culture, right? So I think when you aggregate Bill's thoughts and melodies, that's what you get. You get incremental, you know, consistent improvements that ultimately become part of your fabric. Mm -hmm. I know one I of the questions. Yes. I mean, that, that made me think when you, you know, the idea of incremental, which again can sometimes be frustrating, but it's also how you learn a habit. But we, I think as we, I, I believe it was in this um, continuous improvement value we've been working on um, defining this is this idea of taking risk. And sometimes it feels better and easier to take a risk on something smaller that's a building block that's a day by day. And you might take a risk and it might not, might not work out. It might be a failure if you will, but it's a small one. And that's how you can start to feel more comfortable proposing new things and being okay with everything not being adopted or um, being again okay with failure because everything isn't a home run. Mm -hmm. Well, in fact, Melody, we got a question uh, before this started from a participant who asked, how do you make others feel comfortable challenging the status quo? So as leaders, um, how can you help do that for your own teams? How do you, what do you think will be important to encourage others to do that? I'd, I'd, uh, I'd point out two, two factors. Uh, I agree with Melody that uh, we have to be comfortable taking risks and uh, we have to check ourselves on that too. I think it's interesting when we were working on the, the values over the last few months, we got into a, um, a, a, an interesting conversation about the word impeccable. You know, and is that the right word, impeccable service? And uh, I, we're a community of high achievers and perfectionists, in my opinion. And uh, I don't worry so much about setting the bar high. I worry more about making sure that we are making it comfortable for people to take risks and to, to fail sometimes, and that we harvest those experiences 
um, and learn from them and, and move us forward. Mm -hmm. So I think, I, I think that's very important, a very important element here. Thank you, Bill. Melody or Augie, anything you'd like to add on, on that one? I think there are two, well, and not just two kinds of people, but two kinds of um, kind of viewpoints as you come to this, or two personal perspectives. There are people who um, change is just what they do. They constantly question, constantly improving, constantly, constantly looking back. They might not even recognize that that is such a core part of their, their approach to work. And then there are other folks who um, maybe don't recognize how to do it or that they're not doing it or even what it looks like. And so I do think it's important to recognize and call out um, both, the, both the successes and the failures. You're like, okay, we tried this, it didn't work. And so now we're gonna try this and make it um, help people who don't have continuous improvement part of their mindset, part of what they do every time they open up a spreadsheet or an email or respond to a, 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 a stakeholder um, help them learn how to ask that question and call. So they rec they even recognize what it means to continuously. Thank you, Augie. Yeah, it's not binary, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's um, you can be accountable and inquisitive at the same time and help foster some, uh, uh, an environment where maybe you're not as risk averse. So, Part of it, there's a there's a people and a communication component to it as well. Mm -hmm. Never want to be, you know, I oversee financial operations. I never want to foster an environment where people are afraid to bring things forward. I mean, that's how small problems become even bigger ones. But that that same environment also dovetails into idea creation, challenging the norm, and improvement as well. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I'd, I'd like to start with you, um, Augie, for the next question and give you a chance to speak first to a question. And, and that is, what, what are some examples that uh, maybe you've seen that, that your team has accomplished challenging the status quo? I guess, what does it look like to you? What, what, when you see it, what does it look like? So I think if you look at some of the silver linings around our current remote work, and the COVID crisis, there were a lot of innovative, creative things being done across all of our departments. You know, they say necessity is the catalyst of innovation, right? I mean, the hardship fund creation, moving to a new digital disbursement tool. You know, that would have been a multi-year committee-driven process that we were able to stand up really quickly, just out of need. And, um, and I think it brought people together and people from other areas that hadn't collaborated in the past. So, you know, as stressful and as challenging as some of these times have been, um, that's just one example. I mean, I could, I could go on and on about how COVID has changed the way we do things. Some, some things for the better. Thank you, Dad. I would add to that uh, a few years ago, some um, some of the UVA finance folks, I think were in attendance um, at a, we hosted an annual focus conference, which is for finance officers across the state of Virginia. Um, and I gave a, a keynote address. And one of the things I talked about is, is how things were gonna change for the future. And I was using my, my children as an example and how 
uh, they had their laptops. They were at the time, I think they were both in high school. Um, how they work and share information and had group projects on using GroupMe or using tools on computers and even Google Docs. They don't know, they didn't know how to save things because everything automatically saved, everybody collaborated. And I was talking about how we're gonna to have to, this is, these aren't the millennials, they're the generation after that. And they're coming into the workplace and they're gonna be challenging us. COVID has made us take advantage of some of this. Some of the sharing the documents on OneDrive or MS Teams, we've had this capability for years and we haven't used it. And now all of a sudden, we're throwing up documents, FAQs and so forth, and 10 people are editing them and we're sharing spreadsheets and using smart sheets and all of these things. And suddenly COVID has told us you can be comfortable with this and you can actually get into a document and you suddenly have to now remember, do I have to hit save or not? Am I on OneDrive where it's automatically saving or am I on hard drive? But um, I, it really is that, that, that crisis can be the catalyst for helping us take advantage of maybe things we should have done five years ago, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of forced the issue a little bit, didn't it? Bill, what are some examples from, from your perspective with, with your team that you've seen where there's been challenging the status quo? Well, there's no, no better example than the adaptive planning implementation. Um, that was a heroic effort, no doubt. Um, I don't know, you know, along with uh, learning about incrementalism over 20 years, I, or 30 years, I wish it was 20. Uh, the other thing that, uh, that really resonates with me is uh, there's a difference between playing with real money and house money. Um, and mm -hmm. the adaptive project, you know, to take that on and to have the team embrace it when there was a real deliverable at the end of that process. And I think for all of us, there were many nights when we went home and put our head on the pillow and couldn't get our eyes to shut because we knew there were real consequences associated with not delivering. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that to me, you know, that'll, that, that experience will stick with me forever that uh, we had an opportunity to move quickly, more quickly on something that we've been trying as an institution to achieve for a long time. And we actually were able to take advantage of the situation we found ourselves in to move that forward. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the lesson learned there is whenever you have an opportunity to, to I don't know, choose your favorite metaphor, play with, play with real money, fly without a net, um, <laughs> that we should really consider those opportunities and try to take advantage of them when the risk return ratio on that is, is reasonable and appropriate. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yep. So, I, so I'm wondering, and this is directed to any of the panelists, how have you handled situations where you encountered some resistance to, to challenging the status quo from, from peers or people that you've interacted with? I like, I like to uh, remind people, and, and it's, it's great that we're working at a world-class research institution. You know, one of the things I would say to people who are nervous or apprehensive about taking the risk is we're not saving babies or splitting atoms. 
there's people on other parts of grounds that actually are doing that. Um, we're crunching numbers. Uh, some of the work we do is high stakes, but relatively speaking, you know, what, what do we have to lose? Let's take the chance and let's do it together. I think knowing that leadership has, uh, has your back and that we know that success is not guaranteed and that's okay, uh, that we're gonna learn either way is those are very important characteristics of, of the environment and, and the ethos in, in a challenge the status quo environment. It can be sometimes difficult um, to, to, to take forward good ideas. And so I'll, I'll throw out one example that I'm really um, eager to implement and we, we keep bringing it up every year. Uh, so persistence, I think, is the first um, thing. Uh, but this is about uh, inventory, and Augie's going to smile at this. So equipment trust fund, uh, we can buy equipment at, at $500 or more under the equipment trust fund, but then we have to tag and track and inventory that piece of equipment every single year. Our own equipment policy says that anything under $5,000 um, we don't have to tag. So there are a ton of pieces of inventory between $500 and $5,000 that we're tagging, tracking an inventory system, inventorying every year because we're putting it on ETF. We have this opportunity to really align these and, and improve processes. We've I've brought this up every year for probably the past three years. And so mm -hmm. um, persistence is the first. I feel still confident some days we're gonna be able to do this. But you also look for different opportunities where you might be adding a value that is important to someone else um, and then changing that narrative. It may be that, okay, I've been saying this for the past three years and it hasn't gotten anyone's attention yet. So let me change the narrative and what's the story and what's the value. And then maybe you can start to um, gain some traction on putting that forward. Um, and then sometimes you might just have to do it and ask permission after the fact. So. Augie, would you like to add some perspective there? How, how do you maybe deal with some resistance or apprehension about challenging the status quo? So I think um, working in higher ed, you know, people are incredibly mission driven and in tune with what we try to deliver. Um, the downside is, you know, I, I said this when I interviewed here, it can be like playing basketball with a 20 pound weight vest. Right? The inclusive nature of facilitating process improvement and change can be strategic. You know, so to Melody's point, and then I'm reading a question on the chat, you know, how do you remain agile in adapting change while being persistent and maneuvering the inclusive nature of higher ed? And I think it's some of its mindset, right? And I try to tell my people, it's not what you have to do today, it's what you get to do today. And when you when you think of it in, in terms of a process rather than a hurdle, um, it's a little bit more palatable. But I agree. I do think there needs to be a, uh, a you know a, a consistent, persistent effort if you really want to facilitate change in higher ed appropriately. And more times than not, I will agree that the process gets it right as a result. 
So it might not be as fast as a corporate sector, but the opinions do matter. Mm. And it's unique. It's unique to higher ed. So we've had an attendee question come in. And what I'd like to do is just take a moment to read it. Uh, it's got a couple questions in there, but let me frame it up and read it so that we can capture the whole thing. And it's, it says here, I've seen a number of cases where a small group wanting to initiate change does the right thing shares their ideas with folks who may later feel an impact or want to consider the same change. The result is that small group gets overwhelmed and drastically slowed by a task force or a committee who shifts the focus to making an institutional change. So how can we empower small teams to champion change, maintain communication with others, and not have their efforts um, slowed down? Uh, can we adopt the idea of minimum viable products, which are core to true agile principles? So there's a, kind of a lot in there to unpack. So I'll, any of my panelists who'd like to go first. That resonates with me. Um, and I, I think this ties back to my earlier comments about the sum of incremental wins equals transformation. Um, you know, the idea that we'd adopt some methodology around that, um, I, I think that's a great idea. And I think it's something we should, we should investigate. Um, you know, I think a, a lot of that happens informally. And I think that's what, uh, that's part of sort of the underlying theme of the question here as well. Uh, but it's when it happens informally, informally, it's incumbent on the people who are working on the issue to say, you know, we're, we're going to have a, a minim, minimally viable product, but we're going to be very thoughtful to not constrain future opportunities in the way we deliver that. Um, and I think we're thinking a lot about that actually every day with, with, uh, with Workday. We're not going to be able to get everything tomorrow out of the box, but are we making decisions that are we are we calling out decision points that intentionally or unintentionally might constrain us in the future and understanding the full implication of those decisions. Um, but I, I think it's a great idea, a great idea to adopt that concept embedded or, or wrapped within challenging the status quo. Um, it also, I think, gets to that, to the, to the earlier point of, uh, of sort of great being the enemy of good and mm -hmm. celebrating the incremental wins and doing those with an eye towards the big prize. But bringing some structure to that mindset, I think, is a great idea. I'd like to see us work on that. Melody or Augie, anything to add to that? I do think, and this isn't a good answer to this, um, but, but kind of getting to what Bill said, I mean, we're in higher ed, we are an extremely decentralized environment and we use that excuse over and over again, but it does mean um, that we have to engage broadly and that always, seems to slow us down. Um, but if we don't do that engagement 
broadly, um, it, it will almost guarantee that it won't happen. Um, so it's, it's hard, it's very, it is hard to do, um, but making sure that small group, maybe it's even when you're thinking about the, the small group, I guess looking at the question, and it's like sharing ideas who have the same kind of approach, maybe bringing into that small group, um, making sure someone who doesn't think the same way or represents a very different perspective can help um, get the momentum and get the perspective and put the narrative in place uh, to move it forward. Um, just getting that diversity of thought. And Augie? I think if you want to operationalize or create a process that revolves around fast tracking or agile principles, you can't do it without credibility. Mm. Right? I mean, we've spent a lot of time working on our values, you know, and our vision. We talk about impeccable data and being a collaborative partner, embracing diversity. If you're doing all those things well, right, there's credibility. You, you can move things quicker. And conversely, I think if you're perceived as less than credible with your regular operations, it's really hard to be agile and facilitate change. So I think there's strata in a, in a higher ed world, but without credibility and then everything Bill said, and along with Melody, as far as broad engagement, uh, it's, it, it will go slower or not get adopted at all. I think a point of, point of connection between uh, what Augie and Melody said, I, I really like Melody's point about diversity of viewpoint around the table and Augie's point about credibility. Um, and I think, I think together we've been trying to make a conscious effort to get that sort of diversity of perspective. And I'm talking about functional diversity, mm -hmm. um, all, all types of diversity, but uh, around the table when we're working on these issues, um, I think that ties directly to Augie's point that that strengthens credibility. There's more resonance. It's the, 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 the points of connection are deeper and it also fosters empathy and understanding um, that I think sometimes can be barriers to progress. You need to be able to take the other person's perspective and see the world through their lens and their point of view to be able to be a good partner. And I think the only way you achieve that is by actually working on hard stuff together. Mm -hmm. So let's thinking about this goal of challenging the status quo, how, how does this align with the president's overall great and good strategic plan? How, do, how does this fit into the larger picture? So I'd look at it um, in two perspectives. Um, one, the more, and, and we ultimately in finance um, are part of the support mechanism to enable uh, the rest of the mission to enable, we're important. We can't deliver um, instruction, research, service without having us there to provide that support. But the, and the better we provide that support, the more streamlined, the more effective, um, we're always going to help really any 
strategic plan if we're, we've got that in mind and so in terms of putting that forward. So I think ultimately, um, the better we are at everything we do, the better the university is going to be. Um, but I would also specifically call out the impact on staff because I do believe that uh, having that change mindset to looking at that um, challenging the status quo um, is actually an important part of having a highly valued and engaged workforce. And maybe employees who don't have that mindset don't recognize it yet, and they don't recognize even that they're um, that they're not engaged fully or they're not coming to work and, and kind of excited by what they can do, but I think that they would get there. So I think the more we can spread this, the more we empower our staff, um, the more interesting jobs we're gonna have, the more interesting our days are gonna be, um, and the more highly valued all of our staff will be across the board. It, it also gives an opportunity um, for staff to emerge and to show how do you become, you know, you're, you come in your entry level or, you know, a couple of steps into your career. How do you advance that career? And part of it is showing innovative and cre creativity and being able to step out and make a change and make a difference. You want to know how to move yourself forward. This is absolutely the place where leadership is going to see you and move you forward. I think it's really important in that regard. That's pretty powerful. Thank you, Melody. Additional insights, Bill or Aki, on this one? Just a, just a small thought. I think, uh, you know, when we hear President Ryan talk about good and great, uh, he of, often emphasizes how our efforts need to intersect with our local community and um, that we need to have strong points of connection there. And I think there's a tangent to that in the financial world that um, we have an opportunity partially because of the transformation we're going through, but also just because we're the University of Virginia to be a leader in the university finance community. And that that's part of the way we can be good is by being good citizens of the broader higher ed community and sharing our lessons and our ethos with our colleagues across the quote unquote industry. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a good and great angle at, uh, on that level as well. We're gonna have a lot to share in, 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 over the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. Augie, a perspective on that? Yeah, so Melanie and Bill both touched on how we help facilitate the mission, right? But we're, we're also stewards of our resources and it takes dollars to do things. And the data also drives decisions at an executive and senior leadership level. So. If we want to be good and great, and we want to do all the things that the board and the executives want to do, um, we have to help enable and facilitate that. Right? And the better we do that, the better the decisions will be, and the greater we'll be as an institution. Thank you, Augie. We do have another question uh, from our audience. And this one says that I believe that we have always had opportunities to challenge the status quo and to make changes that make us better. 
But given we are decentralized, how do we ensure that we're not creating change fatigue for the individuals that are impacted by our changes? Can I lead on this one? Please do. <laughs> I've never seen anyone fatigued by meaningful change for the positive. Right, so if you circle back and we're, we're having deep dialogue as Bill mentioned, and we're, we're fully engaging on a diverse nature with multiple thoughts, as Melanie mentioned, and the outcome is positive, there, there is no change fatigue, right? The contrary is bad mm. process, bad implementation, bad change management puts end users in a vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. So I do think you need to be purposeful with it as well. I think we also have to make sure that uh, when I talked about perspective taking earlier, that has to also include people we're serving and supporting in the field. And uh, it, it, you know, we're making a very, very purposeful effort both to consistently check perception you know, is, is, is there a gap between our perception in the central office and the perception in the field? Uh, is it a healthy gap or is it too big? And if it's too big, how do we close it? Um, and that we're, we've got a strategy that enables us to understand our world from the viewpoint of our constituents in the field. And that, that's hard to do sometimes. Um, and I think that's where the, the, a lot of the change, change fatigue can come from. Just the effort it takes to engage everybody you need to really yes. in earnest challenge the status quo. Mm -hmm. Melody, some additional thought there? Yeah, a couple, a couple of things. Um, one is that thinking about challenging the status quo and, and continuous improvement can be very small. It can be just about changing how the report that you send out every month looks so that it is better um, to evaluate. It might be eliminating a one step of approval in a process. It may be you know, automating the, you know, simplifying a form so that instead of having 10 pieces of input, you only need five pieces of input. It, you know, it could be um, another thing Augie and I talked about is we do 100% inventory. Maybe we don't have to do 100% inventory every year. We do a third and get to everything every three years. So there are, are things that um, it, it, everything doesn't have to be a monumental uh, change impact that, that creates this fatigue. Plus, we've got to stretch that mental muscle um, change is going to be real. We've got to learn how to do with it and, and thinking about, oh, okay, we got to get through this change and take a rest before we do another. We, we just have to learn to, to kind of move. And that's how I think generationally um, we have to keep up with those younger generations coming into the workforce because that's how they're used to an update coming on their iPhone every couple of weeks. Um, and so you've got to be you can't be upset that the background on your Microsoft Office changes and figuring out how to negotiate that and always change your 
your your settings so that it goes back to the classic version because you'll stay you'll fall behind. So I think there's a, a mental muscle we have to learn to exercise. So my flying toasters, uh, screensaver melody, <laughs> just dated myself with that one. <laughs> what what would you say to staff folks who say, well, I mean, we're we're Virginia, we we we've we're we're great. What what's wrong with the status quo? Um, what what we've done has worked successfully. Why why might we need to change? Why is this important? Um, and 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 to those who might even feel somewhat defensive, let's say that well, the way I've been doing it has been working. Um, why should I challenge that? Augie, go ahead. Who's wrong? Yeah, go ahead, Augie. I mean, history will tell you if, if you don't change, you will not remain. No, nothing's constant. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. And whether it's the top 100 in the S&P or it's the top 10 rankings in U.S. News and World Report, it ebbs and flows over time. And if you're not willing to continually invest in your future, even with a broad endowment entrenched in a higher ed system, you there is competition. And, and if we're striving to be good and great, and we want to be a flagship R1 institution, we need to embrace that. Mm-hmm. And personally, I want to work for a premier flagship institution. And I, I want to take pride in being the best. I actually think that's a super healthy question to ask before you initiate any effort. Mm-hmm. Um, why are we doing this? Yes. And if we can't succinctly and crisply answer that question, we should really step back and ask, our, ask ourselves why we're moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, change for the sake of change, you know, we all have experience with that where whatever the end result of an effort grounded in that principle is, it doesn't stick. Mm-hmm. Melody, your thoughts on this? Melody, you're mute. <laughs> Learning how to get yourself off of mute would be a really good perspective on that. So, um, but I know I think Abdi and Bill make good points. So, okay. <laughs> um, so we are just about at time here. What a great dialogue with you this morning. But I, I do want to um, ask a final question here of each of you to to consider and and to share as we as we do wrap up this morning is. Can you each tell me one tangible thing that that someone after listening or participating in this webinar can can go do in challenging the status quo? What's what's something tangible? I think it's looking at every email that you send out 
before you send it out. Um, I, I actually review emails a couple of times, usually two or three times. One, I just want to make sure I've got good grammar and I'm spelling it right and I've attached the attachment in that um, the attachment, if it's an Excel spreadsheet, is actually ready to be printed and you don't have to have send it to someone and they're uh, reprinting it. Um, but just thinking about those little things, and that's all about improving, improving how you're responding, how you're sending something. Can you say something in fewer words? People aren't good. People are only just going to read the first like two or three lines of your email. Make sure you get the point up front. So you can constantly improve just your, just how you're communicating with people by looking at that and thinking about it from a different perspective. Um, so th I think that's that's one of the places I would say is it's small but tangible but can really be um, an improvement on how we're uh, working with others. Well, and it goes back to what Bill said earlier, those those incremental things, they're going to add up to real transformation. And so even those those small things that you might do on a daily basis, if we're all involved in those things, it begins to add up. Bill, anything else you'd like to add as far as a, a something tangible someone could do today after listening to this, yeah. this webinar? Yeah, pick one process that is routine in your daily life, and I don't care if it's at work or at home, and stop and think about why you do it and how you do it. And really sort of critically assess and try to answer those questions. Why do I do this every day? And how come I do it the way I do it every day? And I think if we, you know, again, this is, uh, this is building muscle memory. So the, so the, the practice of it should yep. uh, help it become easier and easier. I, I, I love Bill that you, you said, try it at home, yep. <laughs> you know, to begin sure. to, to build that muscle. Why do I make my coffee this way every morning? Every morning. Yes, because it has to be ready at the right time, just when you need it, probably. Yep. <laughs> Augie? So I, I hate to use a sports cliche, but I had a coach who used to ask everyone before practice, what are you going to do today to make the team better? What's one thing you're going to do at practice to make the team better? And it, it resonated then and it still resonates. I still think about that. Some days are better than others. You know, some days you have big wins and some days you don't. But just for a couple minutes, think, well, how can I contribute? You know, what, what can I do to make the team better? And then to Bill's point, repetition is the mother of the skill, right? When that becomes part of your daily routine, it becomes habit at that point. We have another moment, so I have, a, I have another question for you here. What would you say to other managers throughout finance, throughout the university? What, what advice would you give them for encouraging their own teams? What, what would be some of the things that you would expect and hope to see from uh, your own managers? I would expect them to be bringing me proposals. What's coming from their staff? 
hearing an idea from their staff and bringing it forward. Uh, the, the first meeting that Augie and I had this morning um, were ideas on how we can um, how we can create the create, improve the payment process. And I love that. That's my favorite kind of a meeting is somebody bringing me a proposal that says, had this idea and this is what it looks like and here's a four page um, PowerPoint and can we talk about it? Let's do it. Bill, Aki, what, what are your expectations as you think about that with um, managers throughout finance? Uh, what would you hope to see? Patience, you know, given all we've, we've spoken about, the realities of the environment we work in. So patience is critical and curiosity. Mm -hmm. Ask a lot of questions. And Augie? It's a, it's a fantastic question, Angela. I, um, I'm in, I try to be incredibly self-critical, and as a result, I probably don't do a great job of empowering and disseminating. And I do think management is a skill. A lot of times people get promoted or come into roles because they were good at their job, but there's an aspect to managing a team that's different. Mm -hmm. So I probably need to do a better job of of fostering an environment and talking about what it means to be a strong manager and leader. So I appreciate you bringing that up. So that's what I'm going to, that's to my tomorrow to do when I come into work. So Augie has a specific takeaway as well. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, we are at time. What a fabulous discussion with you this morning. Special thanks to all our panelists, uh, Melody, Bill, and Augie for uh, this first in a series of challenging the status quo. You'll be continuing to learn more about um, how other folks throughout finance, uh, staff members, managers, all different roles are taking this concept, working towards this goal of, of breaking those barriers. And uh, with that, I'd also like to give a special thanks to two of our CI committee members, Danielle Hancock for her vision for this panel series, and for Jamie Wilson, who has been working diligently behind the scenes to get me questions and messages. Thank you so much. And until next time, go challenge the status quo. Thank you, everyone.